0: Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger.
1: All right, party's over. Sorry to to kill the fun. Substitute teacher's gone. Dad's back.
0: Yep. The time before Ryan and after Ryan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) People were thrilled, man. I saw some comments flood in and it was like, Brad and Evan were great. Brad and Evan were unhinged. It was so great not having Ryan there.
2: Please keep this permanent. It was awesome. So, The concern you must have had when the realization dawned on you that one of those two episodes, we had no choice but for the main topic to be violence. (laughs) You know what, man?
1: (laughs) It was, I was watching the ocean go by laying in a hammock with a drink in hand. And I was like,
0: you couldn't be any further from hockey.
1: What happens, happens. It's in their hands now. If I come back to no show, it'll have died a good death.
0: <laughs> I remember, I can't remember. Uh, I think I was in Florida. I was like, it was sunny. It was awesome. I was sitting beside the, po- or sitting at the pool with a drink. And I was like, I wonder no one cares about hockey around here. can't blame them. This is amazing.
1: <laughs> the weather's too good. Yeah. I will say that something that's extremely shocking though, is that in two episodes, Brad, without me, you have somehow... Convinced Evan to show up to podcast business casual <laughs> dress.
0: <laughs> yep. know you got to uh, dress for the position you want. And I'm clearly trying to go for president of the podcast. If that title even exists.
1: Well, honestly, man, you can have it based on how, what you're wearing now and what we're wearing.
0: It's all yours. I'm chief executive chief. officer. Oh, okay. See I can't ya. be operator officer, operating officer, because that's you. Okay. Financial officer, also you.: <laughs> um, Head of the board, I can be that as well. Very robust job set. We have to I think give, I've got the skills to, to cover it.
1: By the end of the episode, we need to find a, a position for Brad, though, because I, th- I have one, you have three, and we have none for him. Chief
0: so far. Human resource officer.
1: Oh, we're all in trouble. Chief
0: Information officer.
1: That is, you are the CIO. Good for you. OK, we'll go with that. Welcome back to the Winged Wheel podcast, folks. I'm back, so uh, I hope you all enjoyed the time with Brad and Evan. Very much appreciate these guys for, for not... Holding down the fort isn't the right way to say it, but you know, keeping the ship steady and going full blast during a very uh, newsy couple of episodes while I was gone. So hope everyone enjoyed those. We're back in studio for this one. We're back to our regularly programmed content here. We have the Christmas tree up in the studio. I wasn't able to get it up for... The first two episodes of December, so I'm sure you guys are having a good chuckle that I wasn't able to express the holiday cheer for that, but we are holidayified for this episode. But without further ado, let's jump into the show. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about Detroit in their two games since you last heard from Brad and Evan, I should say, the Dallas game and the St. Louis game wherein the themes were goals, goals, goals. And surprisingly, the Red Wings actually scored a good chunk of those. Uh, The Red Wings have collected yet another fired head coach, and we'll talk about that. Perron got his suspension for the cross-check to Zub, and the subsequent appeal process is happening right now, so we'll discuss that entire thing. Jantin Bergrin scored twice since being called up and is part of trade rumors. So I know Brad and Evan already jumped into that, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it. Joe Valeno is that guy. We'll talk about the goalies, a little note on Nate Danielson, and more before we jump into NHL news, which is very plentiful. The Washington Capitals have two arena options, two, Arizona's zero. Uh, Verana has continued his unfortunate cycle of being on the outs of a team. Uh, Kachuk and Kotchikov almost came to blows yesterday. There's a lot to talk about. Before all that, a couple things. First, this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by Labatt Blue Light. Created in 1983, this premium light Canadian pilsner is a delicately balanced beer brewed with cascade hops and a blend of malt. It's fresh, crisp, and brewed to the highest quality standards. There's a little bit of Canadian kindness in every sip of Labatt Blue Light. How did it get in there? They're Canadian. That's how. You can spread the love yourself by sharing a Labatt. And when you do share a Labatt, you're not just sharing a beer. You're sharing an experience that'll pair with anything from hockey to a hoedown, which I think is similar to what Evan's dressed for right now. So next time you're watching a hockey with your buds, be sure to share a Labatt because while you might not all root for the same team, although we on this podcast do hope you're rooting for the Red Wings, you can all enjoy a Labatt blue light. We honestly love going to games in Detroit and seeing Labatt being the beer that fans clamor for all over the arena. It's a reliable beer and great to have in your hand when celebrating a goal. So, head to the link in the description of this episode or the one you see on your screen to find Labat in stores near you today. You must be 21 or older, and as always, enjoy responsibly. Also, Windwheel Wheel Podcast Night with the Grand Rapids Griffins, Saturday, January 27th. Tickets are very, very, very scarce. There's, I got an email... Earlier, that is, I think, down to the last 20 or so. So go to griffinshockey.com slash WWP to get your tickets. It is a pregame live recording of the Winged Wheel podcast in Grand Rapids. It'll feature head coach Dan Watson as well as Grand Rapids Griffins players. We'll all attend the game together. And you also get this sweet Grand Rapids Griffins Winged Wheel podcast co-branded hat. So again, griffinshockey.com slash WWP. Okay, Detroit played two games since you guys last took to the microphones, the first of which was against the Dallas Stars, and it was without Dylan Larkin, it was without JT Comfer, and without David Perron. And suffice it to say, that game kind of went
2: as expected. Not really, though. The result of the Red Wings collecting zero points in the standings was expected. Yeah. Yeah. With those three out, you would think the Red Wings would lean hard on the defense. They understand they're literally missing half of their top six. Goals might be tough to come by. They're going to have to go back to their super stingy style to weather the storm and try to scrape by with enough offense to pull out some points until these guys get back. Scoring three goals against Dallas isn't, you know, world beating or anything, but I would say that is a very acceptable number for this group of forwards in that circumstance, which is what made it so disappointing to see the goaltending and the defense absolutely melt down. The game was the exact opposite of how I thought that game would be played is probably the best way to phrase that.
1: Yeah, it was a 6-3 final. Detroit actually opened scoring with Daniel Sprong cleaning up in front. A great feed by Robbie Fabry and Christian Fisher picking up that secondary assist. And after that, it was all Dallas. Haskinen, Lindell, Robertson, Duchesne before Detroit got another goal. Jonten Berggren, who was one of the emergency call-ups because everyone on Detroit is out, scored his first of the season. And I think that was really satisfying for everyone to see. No matter what you think about Berggren and his future in Detroit, which we'll talk more about, he him collecting that goal was... It was almost like uh, he had a very business face on. Like, yeah, that's right. I will score my first game being called back up. Gossis, Bear and Mata and those assists, and Joe Valeno, who has been just lights out for Detroit recently, he scored on the power play from Dubrinken and Gossis Bear, but uh, again, it was Pavelski-Haskinen on the empty net after and it was a 6-3 final. It's not just the defense themselves, although we'll talk more about that, Brad. I find that, you know, you're missing Larkin and Confer, and those are two, not just your top two centers, but two of your best two-way forwards, the team defense has kind of, predictably, like you don't lose those guys and have no impact, but the team defense has kind of fallen apart and into disarray. Like too many of the goals over these two games have been someone missed an assignment which put a defenseman out of position, which just caused a chain reaction and, you know, Huso or Reimer got lit up.
2: Yeah. And the Red Wings, specifically this year, have always struggled defending off the rush, even with Comfer and Larkin and some of their better skating forwards in the lineup, Uh, that problem we'll talk about with the Blues game too, really uh, became apparent and when you're behind the eight ball as soon as the puck touches your own blue line, yeah, it's hard to fall into a proper defensive structure from there. Now, good teams when things go awry will find a way to salvage it, find a way to make what they can of a bad situation. The Red Wings did not do that. Once the fire drill started, everybody just started running and it happened time and time again. A lot of things you could point to on that. Obviously this defense group this season so far for the most part has left a lot to be desired. Sometimes you are going to have a bad game on defense and it, that's okay. You're never going to bat a thousand, but you hope the goaltending can bail you out. Uh, the Lindell goal in particular against Reimer is completely inexcusable given the time left in the period, which was, I believe, one or two seconds when that puck went in, which was, I seen someone on Twitter describe it as a shot a goalie would take in warm-ups. <laughs> what
0: player is shooting from outside the blue line in warm-ups?
2: Yeah, Brad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, we're not we're only doing so much skating at warm ups okay, Ryan? The <laughs> nets are far the net's far away, okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and you hope that that would happen. And it doesn't is there work here for the coaching to clean this up a little bit and do what they can to hammer the problems? Yeah. When the wheels fall off defensively as bad as they have the last couple games, last few games, I should say, going all the way back to the San Jose game. I don't think anybody is without blame. Some people more blame than others, which I'll probably again, point to goaltending right now, Mm -hmm. but some, something has to give is probably the best way to, I don't even know how to describe it, but yeah, something has to give.
1: My feeling on it though, and like I did a lot of catch up on these games, so I watched the full games back once I had a moment to have a solid internet connection and so maybe it's biased knowing the results. But to me, I don't feel like the defense, like I feel like the defense isn't good right now. And the worst parts of the defense are very obvious. Like you have Sider and Wallman playing really, really tough minutes. And I probably have not given enough credit to that on this podcast over the last, you know, couple months, but they really are eating the worst of the minutes. I think Ben Sherratt, as we've discussed, is having a, you know, complete 180 of a season in the best of ways. Shane Goss' spare offensively, is, is, that's his massive impact. But everything else is is kind of like the, the heavy part of the anchor, and that's what we're seeing. But like you mentioned, Brad, there's at least some mix on a lot of these goals of, yeah, maybe the guy shouldn't have had that strong of an opportunity, but you really would have wanted your goalie to have that. Or, you know, even worse on the spectrum to plain and simple, that puck should never go in. That – Part of the scale of goaltending, I think, is happening a little bit more where I think the defense has been not great of late, but I don't think it had to be this bad in terms of results. So I am looking a little bit more at goaltending than defense necessarily because the defense kind of is what it has been and what it will continue to be until something changes. And that something is a you know six five six six Simon Edvinson. To me, the, the goaltending just isn't bailing out. The defense as it exists right now, and then you have the cherry on top of, like I mentioned before, your your two way forwards aren't in right now.
0: Well, we talked about it last episode in the best iteration of the Wing Wheel podcast, in my opinion. That's right, yeah.
1: Um, that you created you know, a lot of burners to to tell me that on Twitter and YouTube, actually.
0: I'm a man of the people, Ryan. <laughs> when I motivate them, they'll do. What what is needed to be done?
1: Your your voice to text put in a lot of work this past week. That is very true. He, he's a man of the people because he is the people. That's right. Yeah. There's uh, two people online, you and Evan.
0: That, <laughs> yes, exactly. We we were talking about this last episode. You know, the goaltending's been what it is, but when you need the goalies to make a bunch of big saves or timely saves or or steal a game, it really feels like that hasn't happened this year. I know Huso's made a couple big saves in the St. Louis game, but I'm talking about this retrospectively to Dallas. You know, it just hasn't quite been there this year and that's kind of almost uncharted territory for the Red Wings when their starting goaltending has been in the net. It's it, they've stolen games of recent years or they've made the big saves when they needed and this year just doesn't I don't see that as much or I think- at all.
1: I think Brad had a good point. Like there needs to be some adaptation here. And let's let's call this what it is. Like this is a tough thing to navigate for any coach in the league. Like, unless you have one of the deepest teams in the NHL who's at the top of the league, or a goalie who can, you know, do what Vasilevsky does, for example. It's really tough to make these adjustments on the fly, but when you have the kind of hit to your forward group that the Red Wings have right now, it is it's tough to adapt. The systems can only take you so far if the goalie's not going to bail you out, at least from time to time. It's less about continuing to thrive at like an eight and two in your last ten pace, and more of about you know staying the bleeding or, or plugging the holes on a sinking ship just to make sure you can make it to dock. It's it's a tough thing to do, but it is. This is like the next iteration of okay, you want to be a playoff team, you can't just be good when everyone's healthy and playing well. You have to be able to adapt in the middle of the season. And like you mentioned, Brett, I think that is a a coaching thing. So I mean, some credit
2: there. They did it against St. Louis. I think, you know, they outscored their problems. That's what it is, though. They outscored their problems. And and for those longtime listeners right now rolling their eyes, ta- us talking about we need to clamp down defensively after begging for seven years to have an entertaining team. <laughs> and
0: now they Bro, are at a hypocrite. <laughs> we talk out of both sides of our mouth. If you ever yeah. pick that up? That's yeah. right.
2: Now they are outscoring their problems and we're all <laughs> saying, well,
0: yeah, I don't know about
2: that. They're one of the top, are they the second highest scoring team in the league right now? They are one of the top scoring teams by expected goals and shooting percentage. There are some red flags there that that won't be sustainable.
0: I will however, not listen to that.
2: However, it's not like if you take those red flags into account that they free fall into a bottom 10 team. They are a good offensive team still, just maybe not, you know, top three, four in the league. Hey.
0: I only look at statistics that uh, support my argument. That's
2: that's the
1: the way the good Lord intended. It. <laughs> exactly, 111 goals for the Canucks. Their first. Detroit, 106 goals in second. Who's third? The Vegas Golden Knights with 105.
2: Is the <laughs> NHL's <is> bizarre, <laughs> it's a weird league? Anyhow, Brad. Yeah. So the St. Louis game. Getting back to your transition there, your segue that I completely ruined. I have no regrets.
0: Is or, is we're that, back to normal. Brad yeah. and I, our timing's off now. You're throwing yeah. it off. We don't know how to read the cues anymore. It's, you know, we're ramping up. It's preseason all over again. Our right? ratings
2: were getting too high. I knew we had to make a exactly, back Exactly. I'm, my mind's everywhere. I can't form a thought. I don't understand how the Dallas game was Matthew Joseph's fault, but I'll get there. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> Anyways, point being, they didn't play well in St. Louis, but in St. Louis, they successfully outscored their problems which is what they couldn't do against the better team in Dallas.
1: I think in St. Louis, it was almost literally Joe Valeno and Michael Rasmussen out the problems and got it done. But yeah, that game, the St. Louis game where Detroit won 6-4, uh, the game was a, a wild ride. Saad scored first to put St. Louis up 1-0 uh, right in the first half of the first period, and then Detroit went up 2-1 and then it was 3-2 St. Louis, and then it was 3-3, and then it was 4-3, and then Detroit scored three goals in the third period. We'll talk about those goals individually, but it was a big back and forth. And Evan, you mentioned it. like Huso had a strong third period, I found, and he made some key saves, but he also had some moments in there where you're like, is it necessarily all his fault? No, but you would hope that he'd have a little bit more. I'll say I think Huso's been getting gradually better over the course of the season.
0: Yeah, and without, you know, totally remembering every single specific save that Huso made in the the St. Louis game, I thought it was mostly a wash in terms of what I thought he should have versus, you know, things he he saved that maybe he shouldn't have, like the Scandella breakaway goal. I mean, that thing couldn't have been any more in a in the right spot to go in. Like, can't really blame Huso on that. I think was that shorthanded, too. No, yeah. Name Ace. me a more iconic duo than shorthanded pe- breakaways into the Detroit Red Wings.
1: St. Louis was that their eighth shorthanded goal this year or something. They were literally more lethal on the penalty kill than they were on the power I should have saw play. it
0: coming. I literally think Detroit gave up
2: three shorthanded goals while you were gone. I two of them were go.
0: breakaways, I think.
2: <laughs> Things have been going well, I see. <laughs> but to Evan's point, and this is a point we've made about Huso and overall the goaltending all year, any of those goals individually could you really blame Huso? No. You can understand how all those pucks went in, and you're not mad at him for any of them individually. Would be Which nice to save one. <laughs> would it have been nice if he got one or two of them, and one or two of them he, he had a chance Well, what get. do
0: elite goalies do in the NHL? The elite... The elite goalies make saves to keep their teams in it and they make saves they shouldn't. And then, like, the Hall of Famers just win series by themselves. Yeah. For me, Huso right now is just, he's playing very, uh, it sounds kind of bad, but like average. I would say average is generous. I mean, A little generous. Like, yeah. 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 Like, it's, it's, it's not getting me excited, you know? It's, it's, an- it's, it's, it's okay. You know, it'd be, I would love, like I said, if he makes, start making some, Triple A saves and keeping the Red Wings in games, I'm going to totally eat my words and I'll just look in the camera now and, and say <laughs> it. But yeah, you know, it hasn't, I'm sure he would think that his season could be going better.
2: I'm at the point with Huso where I'm very confident and very comfortable with him in the net in the sense that he's not letting any, we'll call them warm-up shots in. He's
0: not James Reimer.
2: Yeah, exactly. He's He's not letting the real stinkers in. But when the chips are down and it's a two-on-one or a big penalty kill or a great shot, I have zero faith that puck's ever, ever, even once getting stopped.
1: We're also getting to the point of the season where a lot of the kind of built-up tension across the NHL is loosening a bit in terms of if a goalie's on waiver, he's automatically going to be claimed. And you start to see bodies of work. And if this trend continues with Reimer, you could – if the Red Wings needed the roster spot, you might see him – Go through waivers and the Red Wings being confident that he could actually do so. So,
2: any NHL team who's watched his last few games, uh, yeah, I think we can probably confidently say he'd clear.
1: Let's talk about the goals in the game for now. Uh, Jake Wallman for Detroit's opening goal to tie the game. He cleaned up a rebound in front, but that's almost not doing it justice. That was an he's, he's really great at picking that opposite corner with whatever kind of shot he has and it was a slick little just scooped up the puck and fired it home so nice little snipe from him and then Bergeron again second goal in as many games cleaned up in front very happy to see that more on Bergeron soon but again same as the first one that's what he deserves and for him to put in that work and show that the Red Wings can get offense from their depth when players like Larkin and and Perron are out that was I think key for Detroit to see Sider started a rush from his own end and ended up banging in a Rasmussen rebound, I believe it was. And then Raymond capitalized on a power play goal uh, from Joe Valeno, Kane got the secondary assist on that one. Valeno did a good job to find Raymond in the slot and then Raymond ended up dishing it to Fabry in front to go up 5-4 and that was ultimately the winning goal. Robbie Fabry I see has continued uh, putting out the good word and and making me look smart for saying, shut up about Robbie Fabry, he's good when he's healthy because he's good when he's healthy. I think I just have an affinity for players who wear the number 14, a big Derek Meech guy. And then (laughs) you almost never cover empty netters, but Joe Valeno outworking St. Louis, who was on the power play with an empty net six on four outworked Cairo along the boards, battled, 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 stripped him of the puck, cleared it down. Rasmussen skated hard to clean it up and get the empty net goal. That was massive. Joe Valeno good on Rasmussen to go down there and skate hard and, and actually capitalize on the goal. But Joe Valeno man, what a season he's been having.
2: That description doesn't even do it justice because that wasn't a 50-50 puck. No, it was... was, Valeno looked like he just decided, all right, enough of this. I'm going to get it now. You have it now, but that's mine. That play got Craig Ruby fired. Almost literally. And yeah, set up Rasmussen for the gimme. Valeno is... He might be the best story of the Red Wings this year. I know his counting totals aren't stellar but they're a huge improvement on last year he's he's on pace to smash last year's point total he's got 12 points in 28 games so he's creeping up on a half a point per game and if joe valeno can ever get to a 40 point pace which i think is very much in the cards for him now maybe not this season but the way he's ramping up next year he is such a swiss army knife in this roster Top line left wing, second line center, first line center last night. He played more minutes than any Red Wing. I it was like 23 Max, minutes. Yeah, I think Max quoted that in his article that Joe Valeno played more than any Red Wing last night. Like Alex Debrinkett, Patrick Kane, Mo Satter. Nope, Joe Valeno.
1: That is and massive trust to get from this coaching staff. You
2: need you need someone to fill in on the power play? Valeno can do it. Got a primary power play assist. Penalty kill? He's got you. Big defensive zone situation? Yep, throw Joe Valeno out there. Need a goal? Hey, yeah, maybe throw Joe Valeno out there.
0: Those types of guys carve long NHL careers. Yeah. And we've talked for, since
2: the day he was drafted, Joe Valeno takes a while to get it at every level of hockey he's ever played. But eventually, he gets it. I think we're really seeing the Joe Valeno understands what it is to be a successful NHLer now because – what hole can you poke in his game over the last little while or this season? Joe Valeno's
1: 23 years old. He had just the one year contract extension. He's an ARB eligible RFA at the end of the year. I would honestly love to see a medium to long-term extension for him. Do the old Tampa Bay classic, like long-term low money. The Nick Paul contract. Yeah. Let's give him seven years at two mil. I'm all for it, honestly. We, you, you described it perfectly, Brad. Like, he's not going to all of a sudden flourish into an 80-point guy, no, but he's been steady. Like, you give him the opportunity, this guy works. He works so damn hard, and the results are there. You need players like him in your lineup in situations like when the Red Wings are in now where they have a lot of holes that need to be plugged because of injury or suspension or whatever, and even when they're healthy, to have him in your bottom six, like, that is that's an all-tools, all-situation guy who is integral for a team who's good up and down the lineup. Bring me Joe Valina long-term, I'm I'm sold on it. That's not a question for me anymore. I understand that we're just over a quarter of the way into the season, but all he's shown since he's been at the Red Wings is that if he's given the runway and the opportunity to work, he is going to put in the work and he does get better. Even if it's not you know astronomical leaps in form, like he is a steady Eddie as much as they come.
2: He has leapfrogged. Leapfrogged.
0: leapfrogged. I believe it's <laughs> leapted.
1: The leptid frogged, yeah. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, Le, le- leptid. <laughs> that's staying in. <laughs> I love it. He has leapfrogged a lot of guys on this roster for now and going forward. And that's not an easy feat. Like, look at
1: someone in Bergeron's situation, and he might be not part of the future for the Red Wings. Good though, he is offensively. Look at someone in Michael Rasmussen's situation. Look at.
0: I will not hear the one point greater. Than Joe Valeno, Michael <laughs> Rasmussen, be assaulted on this podcast. I will not have it.
2: Listen, I love Michael Rasmussen, uh, but I will comfortably say Joe Valeno is now better and will continue to be better than Michael Rasmussen, full Only stop. Only
0: time will tell. And
2: here I am. And
0: at this to- at this point in time, the counting stats say no.
2: Here I am holding the standard bearer
1: for for Robbie Fabry. We've all picked very unique players to, to die on hills
2: for. I think the counting stats for Valeno are better.
0: They play the same games played, and Rasmussen has one more point. Oh, does he? Okay. Evan came. He look, came he's
1: prepared.
2: Dressed, he's dressed business casual. Do I
0: look like a person who would lie? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. You are dressed like a, a car salesman right I, now. I, yeah.
2: I was literally going to make the joke. I feel like he's about to sell me a 2002
0: Pontiac Grand Am. <laughs> and you'll. Fortunately for me, that's a very easy sell these days. He's given con- the market,
2: he's convincing. I would probably buy it.
1: The Red Wings beat the Blues six four. helped seal it. Great game for him. And Detroit helped stem the bleeding a little bit. They stopped a losing skid and were able to pull a win out without Larkin, without Comfort, without Perron. And they are still currently in a wild card spot right now by points percentage, although it's getting – they're still 6-3-1 their last 10. Like we're talking, oh, the defense is so bad and things are going so terrible. We're looking at this because of the – what happened with San Jose and then the loss against Ottawa Those are two rough outcomes. I agree. But then
2: the Dallas game, considering the lineup they had, that's kind of as expected. Yeah, see, Ryan, this is why we need Ryan back. He's the 6-3-1 in their last 10 guy. I'm the 1-2-1 in their last four guy. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I mean, the schedule's not getting easier. They have Carolina on Thursday and then Philly
1: on Saturday in Philly. And Philly's been a surprisingly good team this season. So it's not going to be you know, oh, Detroit's just going to bound back into form. Decembers have been tough for them in recent years, and so they have to do everything they can to not let this get bad. But last night was a crucial victory, even when
2: things weren't pretty. And things aren't going to be pretty for the next little while for Detroit. Is is the game against Philly, do we call that the unsustainable? Is Philly unsustainable at this point? I'm surprised the Red Wings are holding up, and I'm very pleasantly surprised, especially with the injuries. But Philly, yeah, I feel like it's unsustainable.
0: Travis Konechny has been an absolute warrior this season so far by the sounds of it. He's in a,
1: like when he was on the potential trade block, I can see why Philly was disinterested in in moving him. He's just a guy.
0: Real meat and potatoes and some serious skill.
1: Yeah. So that was Detroit's win over St. Louis. That's where they are in the standings right now. And those were their upcoming games. Uh, we already mentioned one of the individual storylines in Joe Valeno. But before we get into the rest, let's mention David Perron. Why? would happen? Oh... Uh, he took a lot of strides according to the NHL. Mm. Player safety loved counting strides. Look, I saw that and my reaction was, you know, in the heat of the moment, seeing where Zub was standing and based on all the context of what's happened with Larkin in the past, I, I know it was unfair to Zub and I do feel bad for him. And it was absolutely, you know, this doesn't absolve Peron of what he did, but you had to do something like that was just what you had to do.
0: Don't stand over a crime scene. That's what I learned.
1: <laughs> Anyhow, Perron got a six-game suspension from the NHL, and I saw that and I thought two things. One, within range, a bit heavy. I was expecting, honestly, four or five, but six. If you look at that play objectively, if someone did that to the a Red Wings player, you'd want that much. And so I thought, oh, We'd yeah. be
0: losing our absolute minds.
1: Yeah, if it wasn't that. So that was, I, I felt it was fair for the play individually, and it's not the Department of Player Safety's job to say, oh, within the emotional context of the game, no, that's for us to talk about on this podcast. They actually have to dole up the suspension based on the play. And, and I appreciated that from a neutral lens. And then two, I thought, ah, there is enough context here where I can see this being pushed back and Perron appealing. And that's what he's as doing. As soon
0: as I saw six, I knew for a fact that the NHL, even if David Perron didn't want to do this and he felt... He probably still does feel terrible for doing it. You knew for sure Alan Walsh and the NHLPA would be 100% appealing the suspension.
2: Yeah. And for as emotional as Alan Walsh was on Twitter, he was, his opinion was objectively correct.
0: I loved it. Because
2: I, I love when people get petty and bring the receipts. Huge fan. Oh, yeah. But in this context, and you know, I, I know I already kind of tweeted about it, but to reiterate for those who... Don't follow me, which is most of you, wisely. <laughs> Six games for the action, in my mind, is objectively correct. You cross-checked a guy in the head. Six games, I'm fully on board with that. I agree with this suspension, 1,000%. He's lucky he didn't catch teeth or yeah. anything, because would you would have been looking at 10, 15, like if was out for a while. Yeah. But getting to the big old butt here. This hasn't been the standard for this type of action. We have seen several, like many cross checks to the face suspended in the NHL, and they've all been one, two, or three games. Why Alan Walsh is angry and why he was correct in his Twitter tirade was he was throwing out videos and examples of other, some would argue in some of those instances worst cross checks that got a lesser suspension. So my opinion on this is almost incomplete because if this is the new standard suspension for a cross check to the face, I am very okay with it. I'm I'll be upset that a red wing was the first one, but if you know, say some dude on Montreal cross checks some dude in Columbus on the face next week and he gets six games. And then the next guy that does it gets, you know, five, six or seven. Okay. I am very okay with this because that's what the punishment should be. If the next guy gets two or three games again, I'm furious because why, why is this one any different where this one had more context where it's, you know, it you're right in that it shouldn't affect the suspension, but you can at least understand why Peron did it, which isn't always the case in instance, instances like this. So. Again, my opinion is if this is the new standard for this action, fair, totally fair. If it's not, I, yeah, the anger level will be very then high.
0: we'll have Alan Walsh on the podcast. That's right.
1: Yeah. Well, we're actually overdue. We should uh, invite him on. But the the two main plays that are being drawn up, one is Evgeny Malkin uh, cross-checking uh, Boro last season. Mark He got uh, four games for that. And Matthews on Darlene, which I think was a two-game suspension. The context is different again. The NHL, Uh, yes, Malkin
2: and Matthews are stars. Hey, hey,
1: listen, (laughs) Uh, best puck protector in the league, David Perron. No, but it's a it's a good point. And when people say that doesn't exist, yeah, my ass. It absolutely star protection does exist with Evgeny Malkin. Look no further than 2009. I'm sorry for bringing it up. I digress. The the four game and the two game suspension there is going to be pointed to the Department of Player Safety will say, well, no, Perron skated out of his way, took strides. Again, they were counting the strides and engaged as someone who was not engaged in anything that had happened in an act of retribution. So the process is because it was a five or more game suspension, it first goes to Gary Bettman. And then if he, you know, they want to appeal further and he, let's say he doesn't change anything, then they can go to a neutral third party uh, arbitrator and they'll decide. So I'm going to guess here that they might get it down a game or two just not because through Gary Batman. I, I, I'm, I'm, this is all a guess, but I'm inclined to agree with you, Evan. I would say Bettman will say, no, I'm not changing this because we want to hold the standard. And a third party arbitrator will say, eh, you have two, a two and a four, I agree this is worse, but is it four games worse than Matthews? Is it two games worse than Malkin? That's hard to say. I would imagine it gets knocked down to five or four.
0: Well, I was, believe it or not, I was listening to the intermission on ESPN last night, and they had Gary Bettman on, and he was basically basically saying he has the utmost com- confidence in the Department of Player Safety. So if he reduces this, that suspension now, I will be absolutely shocked because then he's really making a statement that yeah. he— that he doesn't believe in that department, which based on that statement, I don't think he'll, he'll change it at all.
1: And he knows he has cover behind him, right? He knows it'll get appealed further. And if they reduce it, then he doesn't. He's like, oh,
0: well, I still believe in the suspension, but you know, yeah. we've got arbitration process in the CBA for a reason.
1: Yep, pretty much. I, I will say the Department of Player Safety has surprised me a few times this season in terms of getting it right. But in terms of functions of the NHL that require subjective analysis, it is one of the least reliable and most questionable in terms of how they conduct themselves. So Gary Bettman saying the company line, that's what oh, it's his yeah. job to do, of course. But I think the Department of Player Safety gets it wrong so often. It's, there's a reason it's a joke. Like it's, a, it's a running meme. So I don't know. Like, I think the way you phrased it, Brad, it's exactly right. Like, objectively, yeah, it's a correct call. But the precedent is there. The standard is there. And I'm glad the NHLPA and, and Perron are advocating for this. And from a Red Wings perspective, like you can only take so many hits to your roster. We don't want the Decembers to get ugly arbitrarily. So if you can get Perron back sooner, that's great. I got some questions about the suspension. While this is being appealed, he is still out. So Perron isn't, you know, they're not staying the suspension. He's still out while they do this, but they will kind of move it forward pretty promptly so that any time served is, does count towards the suspension, but they won't want it to run too long because if they reduce it, they want him to actually be able to come back in the time that it was reduced to, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so it's not like he misses five games in there. Like, oh, it's actually a four-game suspension. It's like, well, thanks for nothing. Yeah, Someone was like, "I bet
1: the NHL is going to do that." They tweeted at us. I, was like, I don't know. They'll they'll move these things forward. They do.
0: They're not a government government body. They move a little bit quicker. That's
1: right. Yeah, not local government.
0: Unless you owe them taxes, and then you get it immediately.
1: <laughs> okay. I want to talk a little bit more about Bergeron. I actually wanted to come on to this episode and talk about everything that I missed, but I know part of detaching and letting go and actually enjoying a vacation means that I just have to hand over the reins, but I do want to talk about Bergeron.
2: I will, if you want to rehash stuff, I'm sure Evan and I will be happy to talk about our love for violence again. Yeah, you guys did do that. We got some... It
0: actually was far more measured than it usually was. I was extremely hungover. Oh. Um, (laughs) So once again, I was putting the tracks down and crossing them at the same time, but, uh, it was far more measured than what it very well uh, what the discourse was online. It was far more measured than that. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's Evan's able to describe it as measured. And I use the phrase punch him in the face till your hand breaks. So that feels like a true accomplishment. It's Pretty measuring
0: measured. something.
1: Yonte <laughs> <laughs> Berggren and the supposed trade rumors that came up. His name, uh, I think it was Pegnotta, tweeted out that his name has been floating around trade conversations as Steve Eisman looks to do something. I saw that, and a couple of thoughts ran through my mind. First was that this isn't you know true or not, or or substantial or not. It's not surprising that if there are hypothetical or low level trade conversations happening, and spoiler, it happens constantly throughout the league. Like you'd be shocked how often GMs just casually talk to each other about, oh hey, I really like Scandella and.
0: How long has Nick Robertson been on the chopping block?
1: Yeah, other. Teams players are in the names of other GM's mouths every single day, 10 times a day. It's just how the league works. And so Bear Grin, who is a player who is attractive to some degree, he has offensive ability, he's shown that he can score, hasn't been able to crack the Red Wings roster because Detroit doesn't feel his physical game and ability to hang with NHL physicality and, you know, win battles and you know play the Red Wings way was enough to get him a roster spot. A lot of that adds up we speculated at the beginning of the season. He might be a guy, if he can't make it in, that the Red Wings take advantage of his value now and flip him for something that they see useful on the roster or he's part of a package deal or whatever. So that was the first thing. And the second thing I thought was, uh, I get it, but I really want to see what he is and if he can fit into this roster longer term. Like I get the limitations in his play and I'm not sure that he'll be able to overcome them long term, but he is a guy who has a, a nose for the net, who can know where to be to bang in the the kind of goals that win you games. And he has offensive ability. And I'm, I can no longer it out the line that the Red Wings can't score. Or they need the help. They're the second highest scoring team in the league. But you call Bear Green up; he has two goals in two games. I, th- I, just, I think he can be of some value
2: in a depth role for Detroit. On talent, he's definitely one of the top 12 forwards in this organization full stop, I think the issue comes down to the style they want to play. And he doesn't fit that, you know, mold of what Eisenman's looking for in a player. You know, for better or worse, especially paying attention to the draft, Eisenman has left a lot of talent on the board because he has his type. You know, you look at Edvinson, Casper, Danielson the last three years. What do they all have in common? None of them are small. They play 200-foot games. You know, that that pro-style type of hockey. They've got some edge to them. And, you know, however you want to play the game, they can play it. Now, can a guy like Marco Casper play it to the talent level of a Jonathan Bergrin? No. But he has that style. And Bergrin, frankly, doesn't. He is... A small, you know, I, I'm i going to use the term soft, but not in a negative way. It's not like he's afraid of contact or anything like that, but he's not winning many physical battles. He's not intimidating. He's not. He's not a bruiser. Yeah, exactly. He's not going to fill that role for you. He's a specialist if he was on this team. And does he produce enough to be that specialist, like an Alex, a Brinkett, or a Patrick Kane? And to this point, the answer is, no, and he's 23. It's not like, you know, he's got so much room to grow from where he is now. He, most of the time, players at this age, they are what they are. You're going to get some improvement, but not by leaps and bounds. So Bergrin is probably at his peak a 40-ish point small playmaking winger who can knock in a bunch of goals. I fully agree. I think that's what he most likely is. And. For the style of team Eisman's building, I could see him not loving that. And that's not a knock on Beargren. Teams who play that style, he would fit in real well. That's not Detroit right now. So as much as I like the guy and as much as I personally would keep him on this team and would keep him in the middle six and give him a shot, I see why he might be on the outs here.
1: I like if that's what we think he is, and, and I just said I agree and I do, then you know it does make sense for this to be part of the conversation. I'm not a jettison him at all costs kind of guy, is, is I guess what I'm trying to come to a conclusion here with. I, I don't think we should just be moving him out because he's not necessarily fitting the mold of what the Red Wings need right now. Because I think, like you mentioned, Brad, that has value across the league. He's not going to be a superstar, sure, but he's he has the offensive ability. I would love to see a world where Detroit can keep him up and, you know, if you want to keep him up just to see where he is and pump up trade value, great. Or you keep him up and see if he can excel and thrive a little bit more in the role. I understand that he has to earn it and has he necessarily over other guys in the Red Wings forward group? That's a tough sell. The forward group is largely doing well offensively. But you know, it shouldn't be a knock on him because he is, you know, projected to be this middle six winger who is a little bit of an offensive specialist and not necessarily winning the the physical uh, type that Steve Eisman wants.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing. It's like, okay, if he can score 60 points, 50 points, he'll be an everyday player in this lineup. But he's got to be in the lineup to do that, but he doesn't play the style the team wants, so you can't really Get the sample size to see if he can do that. Even though he had a great season last year, so uh, you know I do feel for Berggren in this situation. Like I, I believe the same as you guys that he's a has a potential to be a middle six forward on this team, but it all depends on how he fits as a puzzle piece into the picture. And one thing I'll disagree on is I don't think twenty. Like I think twenty three. Yeah, like you're not going to see him
1: step up several tiers in terms of being an upper echelon player. but he's he injured
0: think- a lot too, right? Like his, yeah. his development has been stunted, whether that's, you know, his ceiling or the timeline for him to get to his ceiling has been altered because of that. I want to see him get more runway. I
1: would love to see a world where,
0: you know,
1: Robbie Fabry is not going to be on the Red Wings forever, for example. Is that your future Robbie Fabry? You need those
0: guys. Well, I thought that's why we made him half man, half machine. So he could be on That's the Red Wings for yeah.
1: forever. We now have to petition the NHL and the next CBA to allow 13-year contracts for Cyborgs only. Exactly. Anyhow, we'll see that where the Behrgren one goes. I tried picking around a little bit. I couldn't find too much in terms of actual uh, substance for for trades other than, yeah, it gets talked about. So we'll see. Overall thoughts on Patrick Kane, you know, a couple more games in terms of him playing. Where do you feel his limitations are? How do you think he's playing? What's the the sense? He did score, which you guys covered last episode, but
2: how do you feel that Patrick Kane is kind of getting up to speed? He looks good. Uh, I don't think any of us expected him to come in and be the Patrick Kane of old, which he certainly isn't. But he's, you know, two points in four games. He's snapping the puck around there. You can see the chemistry with the brinket. He looks like what I was hoping he would look like. You know, you get Larkin back and Comfort back, and those counting stats probably go up a little bit when he gets a little more support. But, yeah, considering everything he's uh, went through, and Evan and I talked about this, obviously, on Sunday, but, yeah, he looks good. I'm, I'm happy. I'm whelmed. I think he looks like a very... Good, usable second-line forward right now.
0: Will he be the best American player of all time? Maybe not. Who knows? He's got a lot of career left in him. (laughs) Um, That's for time to tell. But uh, in all seriousness, I am shocked how much he's going into traffic and knifing through players as much as he does given the surgery he's had. Because you'd think contact would be the last thing that a guy like him would be looking for. But man, you can just tell Patrick Kane... You know, we've hated him for so long, so saying these words are so weird. But you can just tell that he is a special player and how he does things on the ice because nobody seems to do it the same way as him.
1: Some things that I've noticed which have led to maybe limitations in his game or a play kind of fizzles out when you're excited that the puck is on a stick. A lot of it, I look at it and I'm like, that's a guy who's not played at NHL speed and strength for many months and that's just the reality of someone who's had the procedures he's had and you can stay in really great shape and rehab as as well as you possibly can and have access to revolutionary you know medical procedures and the best doctors that all of the many dollars that you've earned can buy you but at the end of the day you still have to build up the the kind of strength that only can be tested and built with an nhl season so i'm also wondering which is a ridiculous thing to say about a guy his age but i'm wondering if over the course of a season the rest of this year, that he can, you're going to see him even improve and, and get substantially better and do some things more, like get some more oomph behind his shot and be a little stronger on the puck. So, but yeah, all in all, pretty pleased, and it was thrilling to see that he scored his first goal. So that was cool. Some other light Red Wings news: Nate Danielson, unsurprisingly, announced as a member of Team Canada for the upcoming World Juniors. So of all the Red Wings prospects I know all eyes are largely on Nate Danielson. Is so.
0: there a 14-year-old on his on the Brandon Wheat Kings?
2: There was a 14-year-old that was called up. That was a unique circumstance, but um
0: He can only play 5 games, right?
2: Yeah, he can only play 5 games and even though he's 14, he is a 2008 birthday, so he he's just has a December birthday, so he's almost 15, so it's this really unique circumstance where he could start his five games at 14 years old, scored twice, two goals. Twice, scored two yeah. goals. I don't remember his last name, but he's from the Western Hockey League. So of course his name is Jackson with an X. And it was, yeah, that was such a super cool story. You don't, you're, how often are you ever going to see They were good that?
0: goals too. They weren't just like tap-ins at the side of the net. They were, you know, high-skill type goals.
2: Jackson Jacobson. Yeah, that's the most Western Hockey League name JJ. I've ever heard.
1: That's right. I, I saw a 14-year-old score twice in the Western Hockey
0: League. And I went, oh, my God, I'm in the dirt, bro. And you see a picture of him, and I'm like, that is a baby. That's, he scored twice. I, is, you imagine your 14-year-old kid is playing in that league, and there's mutants like uh, the one guy Schmidt on Kitchener Rangers? Former Kitchener Ranger. Yeah. Got traded th- to Kingston today. They're, <laughs> oh. They're huge. There he got full on beards, and this kid hasn't even been to a high or a school dance yet. He's in. Gr- he's literally in grade nine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh God, we're doing nothing with our lives. Anyhow, good for you, Jackson. Let's get into some NHL news here before I start to get sad. Uh, the All Star Game is seeing some changes, and apparently Connor McDavid consulted quite a bit on what this might look like. I just oh want to say, God,
2: is that good or bad? Every, every event is just fastest skating with a <laughs> big money prize. I want to say, like, you know, we applaud
1: Connor Bedard. And oh my God, you see that shot? Against he shot Edmonton? it off oh, his that toes. Gross. He,
0: he, his stick was on his toes when he released the puck.
1: I have never once in my life shot a puck that well. And at, like, with all the time and space in the world to actually wind up the shot. And he, anyways, so we give a lot of credit to Connor Bedard for going through the paces and really trying to engage and be a a presence in terms of like hockey fandom and media and embracing what the NHL wants him to be, which is the future face of the league. Connor McDavid, I think has been doing that a lot more lately too. So when they went to him and said, we need your advice on how to fix the all-star game and for him to actually be part of that, that's, that's good for the sport. Like that's what you need. Yeah, it's good. What do you mean? So what, what is,
0: what is, Connor mcdavid have in mind that would make the all-star game more entertaining i'll tell you in just a second okay yeah well, please do
2: because I'm, I'm with evan i can see mcdavid going all right here's my event fastest skater clockwise fastest skater no, no. counterclockwise no because who's
1: <laughs> making these decisions if not Connor mcdavid is just like the typical talking heads at the
2: nhl right i'm aware both options are bad no, I don't think the McDavid... No, I, I know. I McDavid, it is good to get a hockey player's perspective. I do genuinely think this is a step in the right direction, though, because most people who watch hockey are involved in hockey in some way. So if you're asking people who play hockey at the highest level, what would you want to watch? Yeah. That's a step in the right direction. I also
0: think another... I know you're what you're about to get to. Another angle that you can look at it is, you know... What do the players want so that yeah. they actually attend? Because yeah. all of them are like, oh, we'll take, we get to, we get another day off if we don't attend? Sign me
1: up. So, and another thing that they get is a substantial amount of money. That is always the answer. <laughs> so what it is, is the All-Star game will be selected and there will be, you know, a bunch of players who are going to the actual All-Star game. that will be part They're of All-Star They're doing a weekend. draft, right? They're doing a draft,
2: which I love. But, but, they cut off the most fun part. Which was the last player picked. The last player. The last four players left just get randomly assigned to
0: a team. Which I
1: think is just the most chicken shit. These for, guys are in the NHL. Just let them get picked
0: last. Oh, that's, Who cares? That's like when people complain that the team puts out their first power play when it's like 4-1. It's like, put your big boy pants on.
2: For, for a league that Goes out of their way to brag that their players are the toughest in all of sports over and over again. They sure do get their feelings hurt pretty easy. Huh? a bunch of snowflakes. that's right. <laughs> so that that's all well and good. All the players will be selected for
1: the all star game. A dozen players, twelve specific players will be chosen for the skills competition, where like it's,
0: they're only there for the skills of no, no, of the main all star group. So all- I, I'm I'm get I'm listening to you I'm envisioning <laughs> it in my mind. Keep going. So of the players selected to be
1: NHL All Stars, twelve of them are going to be part of the All Star Skills Event. Eight of those twelve will be determined by the NHL Hockey Ops Department, and four of them and the NHLPA, and four of them will be fan votes of the actual pool. Don't interrupt Is, me! I- I'm pulling <laughs> the trap door between beneath your chair. Damn it. <laughs> These 12 players are going to compete in eight events, fastest skater, hardest shot, stick handling, one-timers, passing challenge, accuracy shooting, the NHL shootout, and the NHL obstacle course, and the last two are top eight and top six players. Whatever, they're going to accumulate points. The winner gets a million
2: dollars.
0: Holy shit. They're going to have to send this to NASA between rounds to calculate. (laughs) Hold hold
2: on, though. This Just on that concept does sound like it solves the biggest problem the skills competition has had in the last few years, which is so much dead time. Yeah. There are so many damn events, they are gonna have to be hammering these out quickly, and I like that. Yeah.
1: And you know what? The fact that they're actually scoring points and there's a prize at the end means it's not gonna be so like laissez-faire and it's gonna be a little bit more structured.
2: And if I'm hearing this right, all twelve players compete in every event? No. Cause they gotta accumulate <laughs> points? How does that work?
0: Get the whiteboard out. We need a whiteboard. Can the
2: NHL make anything simple?
0: <laughs> we need a whiteboard. <laughs> Ryan tried to sell this at this great thing, and I'm totally lost on what she's so done. Are there? T- who gets the million dollars? <laughs> if there's a million dollars
2: on the line and I have to accumulate points, I want to be in every damn event. <laughs> I don't care if I finish 11th out of 12th in uh, fastest skater. So
1: after the first six events, the um, fo- <laughs> after the accuracy shooting... The four lowest point earners will be eliminated, which leaves eight players.
2: Hold on. Does that hurt their feelings, though? Well, Do they get participation ribbons? They
1: will. You know what? They're going to distract them with an ice cold, a blue light. You know what? I'd, I'd try to lose at that point. Yeah. <laughs> the eight remaining players will compete in the NHL Shootout Challenge. The two lowest point accumulators after that will be eliminated, which leaves six players for the NHL obstacle course. So there's
0: finding basically the greatest all-star. That's right. Okay.
1: Yeah, by
2: process of elimination.
0: So So, we did lose (laughs) the
2: simplicity of the matter, but this does sound more fun. But I'm going to circle back to something that we talked about at the beginning of this conversation. The NHL consulted Connor McDavid on how – to fix the skills competition, and they basically created something that's going to earn Connor McDavid a million dollars.
1: He uh, was going to earn it anyways.
0: <laughs> He's a human cheat code. That's good for him. Yeah, I would. I would rig it to to be hot dog eating contest. And you just watched Shohei
1: Otani sign a seven hundred quadrillion dollar contract, and you were earning the ire of the league because you were the original guy to earn twelve point five or
2: whatever. Get your money, Connor. Get that extra million dollars. What I really want in this how how the NHL should construct these twelve players is it should be all the guys on like their entry level contract still or That'd on their sweet. on their bridge so that that money actually means something to them. We're watching. You know, Moe Sider, Superman dive to win a race because he's still making 987 a year. Yeah, that's
1: right. Well, uh, One wrinkle I do like is in the shootout challenge, the players can pick the goalie they're shooting on. Oh, oh I yeah. love that. That's nice. Yeah. Which is cool. I
0: wonder I, how many of them will pick their own goalie? I want every one of them to, if it's an option. Obviously that wouldn't be possible. They wouldn't send that many goalies, right?
2: No. Well, well Connor McDavid won't be shooting on one of his own goalies for sure.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that is that is true. Unless Jack Campbell has the biggest turnaround of turnarounds. Anyhow,
2: very
1: obviously there's still some things to figure out based on how long it took us to get through this.
0: Typical NHL, hopefully not never that, making Hopefully that simple. building is 100 floors tall because that elevator pitch is tough. <laughs> uh, like, Should I, I go back on vacation? No, this is great.
2: I'm picturing it in my head what the event's going to look like, and I think I like it. But yeah, it's a little convoluted for your average fan and my dumbass. So. And for
0: the ten-year-old kids who probably they probably don't care. They just want to see the the NHL stars anyway. Shoot
2: hard, skate fast.
1: Look, I this is great. I like what I've seen, actual like on ice wise. But it all boils down to: Are you going to make this thing move at a pace that keeps people tuned in and not falling asleep on the couch? Because like you said, Brad, a bunch of dead time. And I think you've alluded to this, Evan. You need to structure it and show it to people in a way that's digestible and you can understand what's happening.
0: Like every great plan, it comes down to execution. That's right.
1: I feel like we're going to be talking a lot about that. My brain just melted trying to figure that out. We have to kind of collect Evan and put him back together. So on future episodes, we'll talk more about the All-Star game. More NHL news. Uh, We alluded to it at the top of the show, but the Red Wings got another coach fired. First, it was Dean Evison after beating Minnesota and then Craig Berube after beating St. Louis. So... We joked about it that Valeno stripping Cairo of the puck, you know, lost Berube job. But, yeah, St. Louis relieved him of his duties. Armstrong has some interesting quotes in the media today about being hit by a bus. and That was
2: actually kind of heartbreaking. It was, yeah. He was hit by a bus. So well, does yeah. Doug Armstrong had a quote saying, you know, if I got hit by a bus in an hour, am I leaving this team in a better position than I inherited them in? And he said, no, I'm not. And someone actually looked it up. And yeah, points percentage, the year he took over to now is identical. But it's like, buddy, you got them their first ever Stanley Cup. You can feel good about yourself even if you get fired today. I, With this firing, though, I, I kind
1: of look at St. Louis and I'm like, that's not a team that's really positioned to be doing a lot more than what they've done so
2: far, though. No, it They are this bad this year and it is Doug Armstrong's fault. I'm not saying he should be absolved. No. Just the quote made me sad because he's got, he's got St. Louis, their only cup, but this is the rare coach firing where their starting goalie has at least league average save percentage. Yeah. Bennington's not been that bad. Yeah. He's not been an all-star, but he's been okay. He's been pretty good. So you look at that. St. Louis defense, though, and those contracts, and yeah, I don't think this falls at the feet of Baruby.
1: I think he'll have a, a job as soon as he wants one. He's joining Woodcroft for me in terms of guys yeah. who won't really have find a lot of trouble finding work.
0: DJ Smith lives another day. Hey, maybe, not that Detroit... That's person. why the Red Wings lost to Ottawa, to be honest. They do want to keep
1: DJ Smith there. A That's very long-term smart. play. You lose those games, but then Ottawa goes out and loses a bunch more. Yep. And Ottawa fans, man, like, you know, I outside of the context of any interaction with Detroit, because like you mentioned, it's been very civil online, but Ottawa fans, if you just see what they are feeling about DJ Smith right now, like it is a loud, loud and getting louder chorus of people looking for them to move on from DJ Smith.
2: Oh, you're telling me the Ottawa fans
1: are unhappy. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Stoke in the flames. Uh, Jacob Verona. speaking of St. Louis on the outs. The cycle has kind of repeated what you saw in Washington, what you saw in Detroit Obviously, you know, not completely the same as Detroit with the, the context of him going into the players' assistance program when he was with Detroit. But the St. Louis Blues are just – he's not finding his spot there. And I, the story here is I, I look at a guy with so much offensive talent and it's one of those it's, – it, it's a shame is what it is. It's like you want him to see – you want to see him be able to put it together and do the things that his coaches want him to do, that his teammates want him to do that he's just not been able to kind of make it stick anywhere he's been. So we'll see what's next. I'm sure he'll have interest because he's a guy with a ton of talent and a lot of teams will maybe look at that and say, I can find an opportunity to make this work. But as of now, he cleared waivers. So
0: San Jose, come on down.
2: Yeah, maybe. But San Jose's third from last in the
1: NHL right now, by the way. Yeah, they're ruining it. Chicago's going to get Celebrini and San Jose's going to ruin it for everyone.
2: Remember that heater the Ducks were on? They're behind San Jose now.
1: Yeah. But, you know, we've said this before. The mantha Verona trade has looked to be just an ultimate lose-lose trade. Well, maybe Mantha's scoring a bit more now, but I don't know. It's That's just gone completely sideways. We still have COSA. Speaking of Washington, they have two arenas,
0: potentially. Did this come out of nowhere to anyone else? It was very
1: underreported. So... uh, Ultra simple explanation of what's happening right now is Washington plays, you know, downtown DC and essentially Virginia is luring them away. They're moving not far geographically, but within the dense, very heavily trafficked area of uh, the DC and surrounding areas. Like it is a long commute to get from where they are now to where they're proposed to move them, which is, I think maybe like four miles or something is what Gary Bettman said to make it. He was, you know, playing an angle there, but they're moving him to Virginia not far geographically, but it presents a a move from a central downtown core to like the fringes of their metro line, for example. And it's because they're gonna have a lot of wide open space, a brand new structure, they're gonna move them there, they're gonna move the wizards there, all of this tentative. The governor of Virginia is kind of luring them over with a ton of money, public subsidy, etc. So, you know, if you're the owner of the Washington Capitals, you're seeing this, you're seeing a a arena you're playing. Where, Right now in downtown D.C. that needs a lot of updates. Apparently they don't view the area that they're in right now as the most desirable. It kind of went wayward uh, after COVID started. And they're having a hard time trying to kind of recover that region. You can see why they're making the move. But I've also seen a massive chorus from people in and around the D.C. area saying this is worse for fans to be able to get to games. And this is going to suck. So that one's a it's, it's proposed for 2028. And DC themselves have put out legislation or an announcement for legislation for money to fund the renovation of the current arena in downtown DC. So it's all a political game right now. I believe it's supposed to go through the Virginia legislature. So we'll see what actually happens here, but it's a big power pole. But I I know the Ted Leonsis will want to make the move. The owner of the capitals, the NHL will support it because it's a ton of public money for an arena, a new arena. But I don't know. I always like arenas that are actually in downtown cores.
2: So. Yeah, this one doesn't, I hope things change and they can make it work where they are. Nobody's thinking outside the box here. There's such an obvious solution. The Virginia capitals, the Washington coyotes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My God, it was there the whole time. That's right. The metro system there is like, it, it, they're, it's going to be so relied upon by the metro system. Like it just gets gridlocked, those streets. So fast during rush hour, so that they're going to have to make this work in terms of actual public transportation. Otherwise, I don't know. Moving your team away from where the people are, even if it's just a a few stops or a couple lines away, it's. I'm sure they've.
2: It be-
0: it always works out for the best. It's like that's going right, from yeah.
2: Mississauga to Toronto. Yes, those cities are connected. That will take an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, that's right. On a good day,
1: Arizona. You, you know, what, you made the Arizona joke. Does it hurt a little bit to see two? Arenas for one team in Arizona still doesn't have necessarily one, although they have put out some statements of intent, which are, you know, just as good as arenas. hurt. No
0: hilarious. Yes. There's the only winners of arena conversations are the, are the people who own them and the, the billionaires and the millionaires who get to play in them. Like the economy or the, the data shows that there's no benefit benefit to the tax base for these arenas. So
1: I hate these For them to be funding it, yeah. Yeah,
0: There's for them to fund these, there's no trickle down back into the local economy. Like, as a sports fan, I used to, like, as a young, naive sports fan, I'd be like, yes, new arena, this is the greatest thing ever. As now that I pay taxes, I'm like, the only people this is benefiting is the NHL. The, the people are getting the contracts to build the arena and the billionaires. So. Yeah.
2: It could backfire on... On the owner, though, because look at what happened in Phoenix when the Coyotes did not play in Phoenix. Look at what's going on in Ottawa right now, where they don't play in Ottawa; they play outside of Ottawa.
1: Geographically, much smaller distance we're talking yeah, about here.
2: But but if you lose, if enough people are going, I'm not dealing with that traffic or that commute, and just don't you know. Go. And the Capitals are not like a good th- team right now. They are not in a position where well, 2028, we'll see. But yeah, go ahead. Well, they're just entering the rebuild by that point, probably because they're going to hang on for a bit to get try to get over his record. So
0: this could be risky. And I don't know what makeup of their season tickets are corporate sponsors too. And, you know, being in the downtown core lures a lot of corporate sponsorship. Just look at the Leafs, for example. It might be a little bit more difficult to make those sorts of sales, I'll call them sponsorships, when you're slightly further and away from where their target market might be,
2: they are going to lose so many lobbyist seats
0: no they are just as
1: <laughs> no they're just as present in Virginia, like right where they're they're talking about, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. You see that poke check by Kachakov on Kachuk in this subsequent almost fight after that penalty shot work of art, love it, ten out of ten, do it again. It's funny because I saw it. I'm like, yeah, I understand why Kachuk was pissed like he. Keep your, that, keep your head up. It's a penalty shot. No, okay, but Kachakov's stick wasn't at his s- stick blade. Like, that wasn't, he didn't get the puck. He wasn't even close to the puck. He, he got Kachuk's foot.
2: Keep your head up. If he if Kachuk cuts left, it's an open net. Ref should give him another penalty shot. Yeah, I'm very for that, too. <laughs> Take it down your. on
0: a breakaway. <laughs> you trip a guy on a penalty shot, give him
2: a penalty, another penalty shot. <laughs> Endless penalty shots, hell yeah. Keep giving him shots till he gets a shot. I don't care. Get weird. Get aggressive. I love it. I,
1: Kachakov's no stranger to, to getting in scrums. I think it's hilarious watching Brady Kachuk. Like he's the amount of videos of him whining, like he's Patrick Mahomes after losing a game to being offside. That's a little Bill's reference for you there, Brad. Thank you. That memory does bring me joy. Like he's all over to the, like that to the point where people don't give him the benefit of the doubt anymore. You're just like, oh my God, he's being a pissed baby. He's trying to fight everyone. But I saw the replay. I'm like, oh yeah, I'd be pissed too. But it was hilarious. As a neutral observer, you watch that, you're like, hell yeah, keep doing that.
0: Oh, a somewhat neutral observer. That's right, yeah.
1: Honestly, and you know, if you're a Sens fan, you have to appreciate what Dominic Hashik did in the past, so you do have to look at that and go, ah, that kind of rules. Well,
2: Ottawa has such fond memories of Dominic Hashik's time (laughs) there. (laughs) That's right.
1: And then, uh, Evan, you actually brought up before that Lindgren hit by Jake McCabe. That was on.
0: If you play in the National Hockey League, you should not watch your passes. I don't, can't believe i have to say that oh my that god that guy looked back lingering looked backwards <laughs> on his drop pass and got absolutely buried i can't believe an nhl player has to be told that
2: right did you see this he went I'm, full don cherry yeah, he, was, he, was, he a, was doing the table the piano, piano desk, while talking yeah. about probably because he's your got his up?
0: yofa on and he can't see cuz he's got a <laughs> tinted visor <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. You probably
0: wouldn't have done that if he didn't have a visor on. And that
1: would that's a Rock'em Sock'em Hockey hit. Oh, and a they, thousand percent. And after they showed that hit, they would have cut to Don Cherry talking about, it. all right, kids, this is why you keep your head up. <laughs> that was a monstrous hit. It was as clean as they come to. That would have
0: hurt so oh
1: bad. God. And you could tell Lindgren, he popped up pretty quick, but then he saw his scrum and it was just kind of like, I don't have everything back together yet to be getting <laughs> and it. kind of sauntered away. If
2: someone touches me right now, I'm turning into a cloud of dust. Yeah. You have iPads on the bench
1: for you to get that replay instantaneously. You do not need to be watching your pass in that moment.
0: I And it wasn't even a good pass. It was just a classic gain the line, drop, uh, push the D back and make a drop pass. And he oh got absolutely buried for it. Oh my God.
1: That's a that's between the Kachakov Pochek and that hit, that's classic hockey. It's been right a there.
0: violent couple weeks in the NHL. Yeah. That's, we haven't even talked about Good Branson and Cousins.
2: Oh yeah, and all the other guys who got boarded with varying degrees of penalties for some reason.
1: I feel like it'll be a fuller topic on a future episode. We'll see what happens after the the Perron appeal. But, you know, for ex- example, Good Branson, who got a game suspension after essentially eg- exacting the retribution that a lot of players dream of on Nick Cousins who boarded him the NHL has a problem on their hands of if you're not going to officiate the game in a way where you're going to be able to control it players are going to take this into their own hands yeah Nick
2: Cousins should have been tossed from that game immediately that was a
0: brutal hit too that was
2: 10 out of 10 as bad as you can get on a board like skating towards the end boards from behind with momentum should be immediate tossed and yeah yeah, I don't care about the suspension I'm fully on Gibran's side on that one uh to use the phrase again punch him in
0: the head till your hand breaks and
1: i'm sorry i, I know people don't like the code if you're going to lay that hit
2: you better step up if you,
0: branson would would probably not have much of a problem if uh, there was a 5 minute major on the other side of that but considering nothing happened branson's the type of guy who's like all right well if yeah. you're not going to do take him out of the game i'm going to try my best and and cousins turtled twice you got to you got to just you got to just answer the bell at that point and just tuck away and just eat a couple and that's it.
1: And you know what? He is going to get so many, like so many more checks finished on him. Your life load. gets worse. Yes. And not just from Good Branson. I'm talking from the rest of the NHL. They're going to see that and they're going to target him as a guy who's not going to answer the
2: bell after he dishes out a hit like that. It's not a good label that you want. How on many yet. times do you think he's going to get called a turtle on the ice the rest of the season? That'd be the nicest thing they're going to call him.
0: The NHL's still like a You know, big meathead, testosterone, alpha male sport. Like when you show forms of weakness like that, like those, everyone else takes notice and they will exploit that and use it against you. And uh, you don't even want to be having this conversation. You want the refs to just call five and everybody moves on with their life.
1: Then we get to watch a power play, which is objectively better. And like, if someone's going to lay out a hit like that and you're, ah, I just can't believe you don't. The well, NHL has an. I was told
0: problem. that there. Yeah, told the there's game here.
2: management. I see none, no management at all. Yeah, lack thereof. Yeah, um, inconsistent officiating and a checking from behind problem.
0: Yeah, we there's need multiple be stop problems. signs back on their jerseys. That uh, that'll yeah, because they can all read with their tenth grade education. <laughs>
1: <laughs> By tenth grade, they were turning in reports that just said NHL. On they the were top putting up it. thirty yeah. goals in the dub. That's Haven't right. we learned this? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. What All a right.
0: wild week it's been.
1: There's not you enough time the in this. Episode. Crazy
0: week of hockey.
1: I hey, I like I mentioned, I'm happy to go on vacation. I'm not doing another honeymoon because that means getting married again. I'm not having another wedding. That was too much. But I will happily go on vacation if it means you guys get some great content to talk about.
2: Yeah, it was awesome.
1: Fire me a message if you uh if you need any help very quickly, but otherwise
2: I will continue to keep a drink in my hand. That'd be a fun game to see how long you have to leave before we would get canceled. Over, under two and a half months. Oh, I was saying like six episodes. Yeah.
0: If there keeps being this level of content, it would be very quick.
1: Be fast, but you'd go out in a blaze of glory. Oh, yeah. I'd just be sad to not have an excuse to put up the podcast tree every year. All right, let's jump into overtime here. We This has been an unhinged episode, but you know what? This is our first time back together. We had uh, an edit here where I was just kind of glaring at Evan and he's glaring back at me like, no, no, no. This is my seat now. You are gone. We've, we've taken <laughs> we've taken over the show, but appreciate everyone uh, dealing with me shaking off the rust. And uh, yeah, let's jump into Overtime. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, you get benefits like access to our Patreon exclusive Discord. You also get access to all of our bonus content, including our Patreon exclusive Bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones, as well, you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, for example, we're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. The vast majority going to our Patreon supporters. So again, Patreon.com/slash WingedWheelPodcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. All right, let's take some questions here from our patrons. One-eyed Larry says, "After two impressive games, what do you feel is the most likely to happen with Bergeron?" I imagine he stays put until we get a healthy roster. Do you feel it's most likely he sticks with the
2: Wings, goes back to Grand Rapids, or Stevie uses this run as a showcase to drive up the value of a trade? When in doubt, pick the boring option because that's how traditional hockey GMs operate. So probably just rides out the season as a Red Wing. Yep. Zach Plank says, With
1: Larkin, Comfer, and Koston on IR, Perron still on suspension, how do you guys feel about the rest of December and the Wings' ability to maintain a divisional or wildcard seat?
2: Uh, after watching the last four games, not great.
1: Yeah, what's their schedule for December? Carolina, Philly, Anaheim, Winnipeg, Philly, New Jersey, Minnesota, Nashville, Boston.
2: It's not an easy run it's a It's an interesting mix, yeah. couple bottom feeders, couple elite teams, and then a lot of the we'll call them comparable teams. And it's a lot of hockey, too. Oh yeah. Like
1: if you're hurt and things aren't going well, you, spend, you essentially want to like as big of a break as possible. And yeah, they have the Christmas break, but that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games for the rest of the month. Like you're gonna want, you're not gonna have the luxury of being able to take days off. I don't know. I mentioned before, December's have been tough for Detroit. I think they can hang on to a wild card spot, but I wouldn't be surprised if they are floating in and out of that for the month. Beer League Chicken Daddy says, I'm beginning to question leadership with regards to Edvinson. I'm not even asking when we bang the table. I'm asking how hard. Uh, Bill's Mafia style. Yeah, just jump through it. Correct. That's that's where I'm at right now. For me, it's like, okay, you don't want to call Edvinson up while the team's doing well because the team's doing well and the defense is relatively healthy and you want him to get more minutes. Okay. You don't want to call him up now because the team is – kind of getting exposed defensively and he's going to be thrown into the fire. Either one of those arguments individually is okay. I think you're eventually going to run out of time before you have to just do it. You can't always have the perfect situation and Detroit's worst parts of their defense aren't going to get better. They just are what they are.
2: So, And do you want him to come up with a ton of confidence and he's on an absolute heater now. Don't wait and risk him running into a cold streak.
1: Yeah, I'm... I I think I've already been banging the table. I don't want to say I'm going to start banging the table. I think I already have been. So I don't want to go too much longer without seeing Simon Edvinson. I don't know what the plan is necessarily, but he has to make it through soon. Are they just waiting for injury? I'm not sure. Cletus says, is it just me or is it goaltending the biggest question mark slash black cloud hovering over the Red Wings playoff hopes? One would think the goals slash game scoring pace the team is on isn't sustainable and allowing three plus goals a game is definitely not conducive to playoff hopes. And that's what you mentioned earlier, Brad.
2: So we talked about have to agree. Is it the biggest question mark? Dylan Larkin's health. Yeah. Is the biggest question mark to that.
1: But in terms of, yeah, all things healthy, I would say that would be the case. Yes, Correct. The Mexicanadian says, well, I'm glad to have you back, Ryan. I can't say that I'm not sad. We won't just have the angry old man podcast to listen to anymore. As for the question, why do you think the coaching staff seems to refuse to ride a goaltender when they're hot? I think, the, I, I think it's less about, you know, not riding lion. I think it's more about needing to get more than just line going. Like they, they need to figure out which one of Huso or Reimer is going to make this work. I don't know. I would like to see them lean on line a little bit more, but I think they've done it as much as I expected since he's really kind of come
2: forward. I mean, based on performance and contract status, I think I'm at the point where I'd be ready to just ride Lyon and Huso. Agreed. Yeah. They're They're both on multi-year contracts. They've performed better this year. To me, it makes sense, but I don't know. Frank,
1: the tank says, do you think the wings will consider buying out cop if Valeno continues to progress and become the team's true third line center? Although costly, the big bonus is the added roster spot in the top nine.
2: I am not commenting on cop because you all yell at me when I do.
1: (laughs) I think, I think cop is too valuable to the PK right now. And, you know, defensively, which the team will love. I agree. He's not been performing to his contract. I think the cost-benefit analysis that the team—just guessing what the team would think right now—is like, no, he provides too much value in terms of, you know, defensive or PK stability. So even if he is not producing to the level of his deal, It'd
0: be extremely shocking to me if they bought him out.
1: Yeah, and we'll see how it goes over the next year or so. As you get closer to the, you know, halfway point of the contract or whatever, but we'll see. The cop conversation will will definitely continue. Schmidt Tino says, hello, a question about goalie masks. Who decides how a goalie mask, for example, Husos is painted? Are there any regulations by the league or the team about it? Have there been goalies who basically use the same design for their whole career? I know Hashtag and Ozzy had basically the same design every year. I imagine that this might be a very personal piece of equipment for a goalie. You're correct. It is the league does have to sign off on designs, but goalies are generally the ones to, to do so with a, a lot of really talented
2: artists. Correct. The Goalie works with the artist to come up with the design. There are restrictions. The NHL signs off on it. And are their goalies to use the same design for their whole career? Come on. Who can't remember? Eddie the Eagle. Eddie Belfour's Eagle masks. Every, like Same Eagle side of his mask just changed the color based on the team he was playing on. Yeah.
1: Also, I'm sure, he, did he change it over time? But Cujo's mask was iconic oh, as yeah. a kid. Like that Oh, was- yeah.
2: I think he changed it, but yeah, that was top tier and then one last
1: one and this one's for both of you it goes it's from clapping bombs wheel and moms frankly discussed edition. says long time listener first time writing in screw you read <laughs> says i just wanted to tell you that the last two episodes were the best you've ever done keep up the good work
0: <laughs> agreed i would have to say so ourselves that we took the podcast to heights i didn't even know possible
1: and here i am to drag us right back down into these <laughs> seats all right, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, bearing with us as we, you know, we're kind of on our bullshit this episode, but it was good fun. We'll be back with you on Sunday. We'd like to thank all of you for listening. We'd like to thank Labatt for sponsoring this episode of the podcast, as well as uh, we'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. Also, griffinshockey.com slash WWP if you want to get your tickets. To all of our name level supporters on Patreon, thank you. Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grant Foundation, Akefur, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, and I'm Evan, Carl Bertin and Analevsky, Carl Provi Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere, But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, G-O-D Creatives, who's a brand new name level supporter. Welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Give Blood, Fight Probert. Hockey Town Love. Hockey Town Matt. Sam Kassem. I score goals and get injured and I'm all out of goals. Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood. Keep making Evan Reed the Patreon names, please. Was that fun? Did that no. Did that go well?
0: No. Uh, yes, but probably not. <laughs>
1: King Tone Marcus. Marlon Winchester. Matt K. Cannon Fodder to the Cheesebag Army. Matt McKay. Michael Edlund. Mike Hawk, R.A. Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube. That's what I appreciate about you. Wallman's Elite, Dancing D, Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, A.B., Adam Rose, Axel Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Clap Bombs, Wheel and Moms, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Layton, and Corey Preeta, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show. Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Gotta Set the Tone Boys, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Derogatory, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Steven, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, ex-formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you so very much, folks. We'll talk to you Sunday